Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Bill Hendricks. I'm the Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center. And I want to welcome you to this podcast, which is going to talk about organizations. Now, many of those organizations are going to turn out to be churches and nonprofits. And when you ask people, what is a church? Many people will say, well, the church is a cause, and it is. It's the cause of Christ. It's mission-driven. We have a message. We're trying to push that out there. And other people will say, well, actually, the church is a community. It's, and it is. It's, it's an organism. It's the body of Christ. It's the family of God. And then somebody will also perceptively say the church is a corporation, which is actually true because most churches, at least in the United States, are under the IRS code labeled as 501c3 organizations. So there is a, an organizational dynamic. Well, that's the, that's the circle that we want to focus in on today, is that organizational life. And specifically, we want to look at uh, what we're going to call uh, the name of a book that uh, our guests have put together, Smart Church Finances. And I love the subtitle, A Pastor's Guide to Budgets, Spreadsheets, and Other Things You Didn't Learn in Seminary. The two authors uh, are George Hillman. And John Reese. George is the uh, vice president. I want to make sure I get your title it's right a long, here. It's a long title. Vice president for education <laughs> and professor of educational ministries and leadership at DTS. Yep. Welcome, George. Thanks. And uh, John, you have a, a consulting practice called WayQuest, yes. which helps organizations be free from business distractions to accomplish their mission and purpose. Uh, I go way back with George, so I'm actually going to start with you and ask, how in the world did you land on WayQuest and this work to help organizations be free from business distractions? Well, I started out with a name, even uh, the, it's the Quest for the Way. Hmm. And so there is something in, in, embedded in that. And when I was working mainly with uh, corporations uh, early on in the consulting practice, I had opportunities to share what that meant and open up uh, a, a more of a, an evangelistic conversation even with VPs of finance of multi-billion dollar companies. And so that was one entree into it. Uh, and then uh, the work that I've been doing, I keep on getting drawn into uh, working with churches and ministries. I have been a part of launching ministries or serving in churches my whole life, okay. pretty much. And so that's... That was the beginnings of that. Now, you've picked a really interesting word, though, when, when, when we talk about churches and this whole matter of their finances and the organizational yes. side of things. It sounds like for many it's a distraction. Tell us more about <laughs> yeah. that. Now, the, the distraction is uh, folks that are in ministry, that are serving in ministry, are not, uh, like we talk about, it's not, they're not equipped to typically understand what a spreadsheet is and what, the numbers and everything else. And it gets distracting. Even in, in leading an organization and how to put the plans together, Of uh, it's, it's almost as if it's, well, this is where we're being led, whether whatever the context is, and we're just going to trust that God's going to do everything for us. 
I believe there is something more to that, that we can work together hmm. with God, but he has also provided structure and order for us to follow. And so to be able to do that and use some of the things that corporations use, and there's a balance. And one of the things I'm constantly fighting against is it's not to have the business corporate feel of things come in and either displace, not that this could happen, displace the Holy Spirit's leading, mm -hmm. but sometimes it feels that way, but it, it really is the distractions of uh, having to mess with filings with, well, with the IRS, right. uh, filing, tax filings, right. uh, making sure things are in compliance. I was uh, talking with uh, the chairman of Deacons oh, a couple of months ago. And they were bombarded. He just stepped into this role, bombarded with the, oh, we need to make sure we're doing our payroll taxes properly. And Oops. it's 1099 <laughs> versus W-2 and all these different pieces. Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. – it, so, George, you're on the academic side of this whole equation. And yeah. you put in your title, Things They Don't Teach in Seminary. Why are they not teaching these? That's a great question. Uh, you know, because irony of it all—the irony of it all—is that I'm even seen here talking about a book on money that I wrote. I understand because I don't do the that's, money. That's thing. not your. No, it it, it is a distraction yeah. for me. And you know, uh, my dad was an accountant. I did not get any of those genes, and I don't know what happened along that side. But it was guys like John that would come alongside to help me understand spreadsheets and tax roll and you know uh, a lot of the uh, start of this book was actually us helping a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary plan a church hmm. uh, how do you negotiate with the local school board to be able to use their facilities and liability insurance and all those types of things and so I, we kind of joke with the book is that really John wrote the book I translated the book <laughs> if that makes sense and so John was you able translated to translated it for the ministry types? yeah translated to people for people like me right who I don't like math. I, I, I don't like doing budgets. I, I don't like dealing with the personnel thing, but it is a reality. You right. have to do these things or you're out of business or you're doing things unethically. Right. And you're back to this whole premise of stewardship. You're not stewarding stewarding God's resources. You're wasting them. Well, I want to come back to the thing yeah. of stewardship, but I, I – I guess I camp on that it's it's not in yeah. seminary, but it, but even if it were, it might not take. Well, and that's one of the things too. So I, you know, how we started this is John would come into my classes, okay. and I'd say, well, hey, come teach a lesson on how do you put together a spreadsheet. And, and really, for most of the people in the classes, they had never been exposed to anything hmm. like that. Interesting. Part of the thing is, I think it's felt need. Mm -hmm. You you come to seminary to learn Bible and theology, but then when you leave. Then you realize, oh, there's things that there's I, boards, there's budgets, all those things, there's fundraising, yeah. and and you don't spend forty hours a week writing your sermon. You're having to work with a board. You're having to work with, um, you know, city councils, mm. all those types of things. And part of it is just we do have classes that teach this type of stuff. Students just don't take them at that point. Right. They come back later when they have the felt need. And really, that's how we kind of started with this was based on felt need of our graduates. It sounds like a good good idea for a certificate. It does sound like a good idea for a certificate. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that is definitely an inside joke on that one. So I, I said I was going to come back to this issue of stewardship, and that's really where you guys start. Yeah. And you know, stewardship, most people think, oh, what's that? That's like 
the money part. That's like uh, stewardship is, oh, they're going to raise money for you mm. know, the budget or a building. or Stewardship is far beyond that, right? Yes, far beyond that. So stewardship really is <clears throat> leading well the people. Well, and I don't necessarily like the resources being yeah. the human resources, but people are the fo- are the uh, a resource. Mm-hmm. In some ways, they need to be led well. Decision making has to be something that is walked through, and not, not just uh, based on a lot of opinion, mm. but with some kind of uh, logic and structure and some disciplines and analyzing what's in, what is valuable, what are, what's a priority within the organization as well, and how does it fit with the overall mission. I just want to camp down briefly on, let's call it a theology of, of <coughs> church management, if I could, mm-hmm. because, you know, there's a stream out there, there's probably several streams out there, people say, the, the Holy Spirit's going to show us what to do. Why, why do we need to get into the weeds of, you know, the, 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 that, that seems like that's going to limit God somehow. Well, God created business. And one of my favorite verses is Proverbs 1611. All the weights and measures are his. There you go. So everything. So he cre- he's, a, he's a God of order and structure. Even though uh, the, the, the process and all the different pieces are applied in business, he created all of that. He created us to implement that. And it's something if we cut that off and, and don't include that in any of the conversations and the planning and the management of mm-hmm. what God has provided, then we're actually cutting off what he has created mm. and not using that fully. Well, and then there's 1 Corinthians 12 and other passages. God also created people to whom he gave gifts. Mm-hmm. Yes. And among those gifts, at least one of them is called administration. <laughs> Right, yeah. and you know, George. You know, I grew up in the church. I've been going to church since yeah. nine months before I was born. So, I've I've been around lots of churches, and it's my not just opinion. It's been my experience that some gifts, just like First Corinthians twelve says, they get a lot of promotion, particularly mm-hmm. the communication gifts, the dynamic, you know, the spectacular gifts. Administration is one of those quiet gifts, mm-hmm. and it gets short shrift in many. In many churches and many nonprofits, because let's face it, it's quiet. It's often behind the scenes. Well, and I'll throw this out as well: is that you know, and most of our graduates mm-hmm. do not get fired for heresy. They get fired because they don't know how to work with people, or the church runs out of money and they can't pay for their programming anymore. I literally have an email from one of our graduates right now. Their church is going to close their doors because they don't have the finances to actually pay the people to do what needs to be done. And so um, that's all part of that stewardship aspect as well. Well, that reminds me of something that Peter Drucker said. Mm -hmm. And many of our listeners may not know who Peter Drucker was, um, but in the 20th century, nobody knew more about management yeah. than Peter Drucker. He's really the godfather, I think, of modern management. And if you have an executive pastor in your church, Peter Drucker actually was part of a small group of people that, that created that whole role. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people pushed mm-hmm. back, you know, as I guess you do. It's like, oh, let's not bring you know, business principles into, into God's work kind of attitude. And, and, and Drucker simply said, the reason the church needs management 
is not to make it more business-like. It's to make it more church-like. Hmm. His point was, if the church isn't run well, it doesn't accomplish its mission. That's what we're trying to accomplish. Right. And what yeah. you've done here is try to begin to put together resources to help pastors and church leaders and, and parachurch ministry leaders do that. That's right. And the center of that uh, framework that we developed is mission. And without that, that is that is a driving focus. And with churches, I always say it's a secondary mission. Hmm. We're called to um, go and, and yeah. uh, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Right. So the secondary mission is a contextualized mission wherever that church is planted. We have churches in the area on every, on, almost on every street corner. But what is that contextualized mission? And part of that is who are the people that you're serving? And that is the first step in our, in our uh, process of walking through, understanding who are you serving, what are their needs, what are the things that are important to those. And it's not just within a church, it's not even just the, the church members. It is. Uh, it may be that you are serving a community that they may never be a member of the church that's mm-hmm. still part of the calling mm-hmm. of that body. Yeah, and you know the, the the mission of the church it's already been set. We we make disciples. Yeah, make disciples. But uh, each individual church is a unique expression of the gospel in that context. And so that church, why does that church even exist? And I always tell this to students: every church is a church plant. Mm. You know, you think about here, First Baptist downtown. Yeah, right. That was a church plant at one time. Right. Every church is a church plant yeah. because. A group of individuals said the gospel needs to be presented to this people group, to this location, whatever the case may be. So how do I take the gospel and make it make it an expression of the gospel in that unique context? And then out of that flows the strategies and what are the resources we need and who are the people that we need. And that mission is not just a set of good intentions. They are good intentions, but good intentions go nowhere no. until you begin to put actual practical mm-hmm. feet on them, which includes money, people, time, physical plan often, yeah, all, all those resources. And boil it down to it, the mission is really uh, what problem or problems are you solving and who are you serving? Mm-hmm. And then from that, you can build on what are those pieces that are needed? What are the resources that are needed? What are the programs? And so that word gets kicked around a little bit as far as, oh, just put a program on it. And there, it, there's also a process of, we've been doing this program for years and yeah. years and years. We need to keep on doing it. And so even the process of assessing, is this continuing to fulfill our mission? We'll even like give you a real practical example of this. So a church that we used to be a part of was across the street from a very large church here in the Dallas area who did an amazing job with Vacation Bible School. Our church chose not to do Vacation Bible School because why? Why? Same neighborhood, same everything. We actually would tell people, go volunteer at that church's Vacation Bible School. Now, we came up with a different avenue to reach a different population and different... But yeah, we have to evaluate all of our programs of what are we doing. And um, just because the church down the street has this great program doing this... You might be called to something else. Yeah. So knowing why you're here, mm-hmm. what your particular church plant is called to do. Yeah. And who has God brought to your church? Who are the people in your congregation? They're a resource. Yeah. Talk to us about budgeting, because it seems like a lot of things boil down to, you know, let's get a budget plan going. 
Too often, churches start with, this is how much money we've been receiving through tithes and offerings, and then from that point, we can build programs and ministries and everything else. And we suggest that that is the wrong approach. Hmm. Work with too many organizations that do that, but it's the wrong approach. It's from a corporate speak, it might be a zero-based budgeting, Yeah, but it really is starting with the mission and then how are we going to accomplish the mission? Maybe different strategic initiatives, programs that are underneath that that would be put together to accomplish that. Once those are defined, what are the, who are the people? What are the other resources, facilities, technology, curriculum, mm -hmm. what have you? With all of that, then you can apply a dollar amount to it. Money is a transitory resource, hmm. is what I would suggest. Mm -hmm. It is not the thing that should be focused on. What are the things that really can be used to fulfill whatever activities and programs to fulfill the mission? What I was going to say as well yeah. is that you know another uh, thing that will happen is that use it or lose it. Yeah. You know, so uh, I have to spend. Yes. I have all this money or left they'll over, take it away from it, me. or they'll take it away from me, and that's terrible <laughs> stewardship. Yeah. And you're wasting money instead of actually using it in a, I almost say, a God honoring way. Hmm. Well, along those lines, uh, I was, it was actually in one of the classes uh, that uh, I was speaking with, and a woman was serving in their ministry youth group. And they had a fixed budget for the year for pizza, let's say. Okay. And they had grown. They doubled the number of students showing up by June. You know, uh, and so halfway through the year, she started pulling money out of her pocket to buy the pizza because the budget was locked in place for the year. Instead of on a on a monthly basis or at least quarterly looking at it, what is going on? What are these reassessing? What mm. could happen? Because a lot of times the budgets that are set could be 15 months old Right. by the time mm -hmm. you get to the end of the year and everything, mm. 15, 16 months old. And so things, things ch change. There are things that are happening within the ministry that you want to be sensitive to. And so part of that is, is not taking that, this is how we just lock in a budget and stick with it. Be sensitive to what's happening and the response that is going on within the ministries. And I'd even say this of the the, the members of the congregation using church for example, yeah. they want their resources going to the things where God is at work. And so, right. you know, they see the youth ministries exploding, and to be able to go back to the church and say, "Look, this ministry is exploding." God, I truly do believe God will provide. That, that and it, but you've got to make people aware of, and we always t we talk about this in the book of telling the story of, of your ministry. Of here's the things, here's the impact that you're having, hmm. and when people understand, they're able to connect those dots. They want to give. I think God places it in their heart to give. Yeah. Uh, just to follow on with that, yeah. one of the a thought is too often I believe boards and let's say pastors are looking at it from the standpoint of. That is such a big number that we, we can't do that, mm. whatever program yeah. it is. And I would suggest by going through a process of really understanding what are the resources, breaking it down and defining what that and, and putting a dollar amount to that, that provides a very specific ask and a prayer request. Mm -hmm. And the, the more specific it is... I've, I have, just from a stewardship experience on my own, multiple times where um, 
over pr- with through prayer, specific dollar amounts yeah. have been uh, prayed for and provided over a span of many months. And it is, it's amazing how God can do that. Right. And I know we, we're familiar with that, but it is something that I think too often we're too and, we don't yeah. think about that. Well, yeah. again, example, um, so church I'm currently a part of, we're involved with a ministry to Pakistanis who are living in Dubai. Hmm. And it, this yeah. is the craziest story. And so we are training Pakistanis in Dubai who then go back to Pakistan to pastor and lead these churches. And so we're doing pastor conferences there. And we have it down to, you know, for $75, you can buy the curriculum for one pastor for $300, almost like the, uh, not the adopt a child, the sponsor yeah, right. a child type of thing. And people caught the vision versus saying, we need $10,000 to do this. Hey, people would come up at church, I want to buy 10 notebooks, yeah, and I want to sponsor these two pastors. And we had the cards, just like your sponsor a child. Here's the pastors that you're investing in. We told the story well. We made it manageable. And so you know, it could be something as simple as $10 to you know $300. Well, you, that made it manageable is the key there. Mm-hmm. You, you, you put it in bite-sized, personable you know, yeah. numbers. You, you, the pastor stands up and says, "We we need to raise you know one and a half million dollars as a church this year." I'm you know I'm like, "Well, boy, I hope we do that because <laughs> I don't have that." You know, as opposed to right. Here's part of what we're doing, and for seventy five dollars, here's what you can do. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can I can look at my budget and go, "Well, you know, yeah, that that that's about what I might spend on a Christmas gift for somebody." Yeah. So, you know, let's spend it on this, mm-hmm. and it it. It breaks it down. Yeah. And it also, by praying specifically, I mean, let's not leave God out of this equation. Mm-hmm. When we pray, we're asking Him for specific things. And according to what Jesus says after the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, like a father, He loves for us to come and ask Him. Yeah, He already knows what we need. Mm-hmm. And He also wants to give us what we need, but He, he loves us to ask Him. And I've I've seen situations like that as well, John. Where, man, you know, it's a big it's a big target, it's a big goal, but we're trusting God to do it. We're praying, we're talking to people, people are talking to God themselves, and and it, you know, over time, you know, you get down to that deadline and you think, are we going to make it? Are we going to make yeah. it? And then, oh my gosh, we exceeded it. You know? Yeah, and everybody gets to play a part. Right. Everybody gets to play a part. What would you do in churches that I've seen and been involved where, like you mentioned the youth group, and I'll just ratchet that age bracket up a little bit, a, a church where there was a substantial number of college students mm-hmm. coming, mm-hmm. but some people in the church were like, you know, we, we really shouldn't be investing all this staff mm-hmm. time in these college students because they don't give. Or they don't give much. They don't have any money. It was that sort of attitude. And you're like, yeah, but look at the impact we're having oh, on, my on, goodness. The, on these yeah. lives. Yeah. You know, at a formative period. And, and, and so there was a clash of, I guess it's a mission clash. Yeah. Yeah. For seven years, that's why I did. I did college ministry at University of Georgia. And the impact that those students had who came through for that short period, right. it impacted the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, uh, you know, the number one school that sends students to Dallas Theological Seminary is 
my alma mater, Texas A&M University, there are churches down there that, right. get, that get it yeah. and invest in those kids, those 18, 19, 20-year-olds. That was me. That I had a pastor who invested in me, and now the dividends are paid, you know, tenfold. And and, and you had people in those churches that who gave, were, who were giving to support that pastor investing in you. Yeah. So by proxy, they're contributing to your absolutely, and, your to, be, life. and to be able to and tell, all the people that you impact, and to be able to tell that story. Yeah, absolutely, that's fantastic. When I think about impact, I think about uh, evaluating performance mm-hmm. and the me- the metrics. And too often, we just look at attendance or yes. giving units, mm-hmm. uh, what have you. And one of the things that needs to be reminded of so many is when we talk about impact, that is generational yes. impact. So yes. the outputs of here, here, here's the performance of, of you know, whatever it is. I, the, the story I like to always tell is uh, we have a dirty water is a bad situation, right? And so in order to put resources, poke holes in the ground, filter, bottle clean water, what have you, an output is a bottle of clean water to measure. An outcome is that people are not getting sick. Right. But that impact right. is that they're able to live in the community, grow, go to school, uh, expand their, their family, mm-hmm. and uh, invest in the community. Mm. And it's that generational impact that I think we lose that connection with, even within a church context. Well, I appreciate your saying that because I think too much of what we do in life in general, we, we take the short view, we need to take the long view. Yeah. That that yeah. God seems to move uh, uh, had a, it, it, at my church on Sunday, the, the pastor to read the book where a, a Japanese theologian said, um, God seems to move at three miles an hour. And his point was the walking speed. Mm. There's yeah. just a time element yeah. Yeah. That, that's slower than most of our current you know, technologically driven culture moves at, which may be why we don't hear God's voice very mm. much. But you know, God's taken the long view. Uh, you mentioned every church is a church plant, and you mentioned First Baptist downtown has been there a long time. It's still planted. It's like a little acorn that grew up into a tree, but that tree is now real big, but it's still there. Yeah. Right? And, and I can look at the other churches that came off of that church, and I mean, just the impact. There you go. You know, we, we kind of joke that in the Dallas area, there's there's a family tree. When you look at the mm. core churches of Dallas and how they have planted churches and planted churches and planted churches. I'm at a plant of a plant of a plant that goes all the way back to Gene Getz from well, the early 1970s. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, any church in Dallas that has the word fellowship in it probably is connected in some way to Gene Getz. Yeah. 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 Well, and across the country. And across the country as well. Yeah. That's, that's, that's beautiful. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. 
Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. You mentioned a minute ago uh, metrics and and how we measure success. Mm -hmm. I wanted to come back to that because you're right. So often it it boils down to just what we can kind of count numerically. Very easy to count attendance, very easy to count the the money. And for many pastors, that that, I, I just... I can feel it. Some who are listening are thinking, guys, this is all well intended, but, you know, it stands or falls on noses and, you know, people in the pews. There there is some aspect of that because there is – if the organization is going to continue, you you need to share what is happening, what that impact is, so that they want to participate in that financially Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. support it, right? But I would suggest that while you're tracking the numbers, look at the right numbers but also uh, this idea of the stories. The stories are what is, you can capture that hmm. more of that impact, mm-hmm. and you need both. And pe- some people, the numbers go over their head and everything else, and okay, yes, that's a, that's a, it's a number, we're hitting it, what have you. But the stories, and even boil down to a story of one as an example, but then you can extrapolate that to the impact that is being made through that organization, and don't lose sight of that when measuring Mm-hmm. The performance. Yeah. It, it, it is a both and the data and the stories, not just the numbers. And being able to to put that together in a way that, and like I was talking about the output, outcomes, and impact, metrics in all three of those categories mm. are important. The metrics of impact are not going to be necessarily a number driven, like, but it could be what mm-hmm. are those story impacts. Of changed lives, then, of, of yes. transformed lives, of transformed families. And of, to get really nerdy and everything from a data standpoint, you can also analyze textual data numerically. So Say more you. about that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the simplest way to describe that is, if, uh, and I haven't seen a lot of them lately, you know the word clouds? Yeah. Or yeah. the bigger words? Yeah. That is what's happening in, in some form mm-hmm. of analyzing textual data, but describing it in a way where, oh, these are popping up more. So you can, you can do a sentiment uh, estimates or surveys uh, with that, uh, just analyzing the, the textual data. Roughly speaking, a church may not do that, but looking, if you can capture those stories, uh, multiple, you're going to see certain themes that yeah. pop up. Mm-hmm. And those themes mm-hmm. would be like those word clouds. And then being able to highlight those themes would be important to share what's really going on. That's connecting with the heart. And those could be sermon illustrations. They could be videos. They could mm-hmm. be testimonials that yes. people give, um, prayers, You know, all kinds of ways of sharing those stories. Yeah. Yeah. George, you, you've been in churches, like you've pastored churches. Yeah. You, were you in the pastorate before? No. Okay. You, you a, were more in the corporate I'm a, I'm a business guy. <laughs> with a, I'm a business guy with a heart for ministry. Yeah. Well, we're coming yeah, back to business guys. So, yeah. anyway. <laughs> so, you've been in that hot yeah. seat. Um, and you've already admitted you're not a numbers guy. Mm-hmm. And yet, this made a whole lot of sense to you. Talk to me through a pastor's. Oh yeah, it made sense to me just because it it becomes a stark reality very quickly that I've got to have money to be able to do some of these things. I've got to have space, even things as simple as scheduling rooms. 
Mm. You know, to figure out, oh, wait, I, I had an event planned, but the gym's already taken because of another event, and I didn't plan well for that. Or I was planning to go to this event, and oh, I forgot to reserve a van. And mm. so now I'm ha- – it's just some simple things logistical like things. that, some yeah. logistical things. And so I learned very quickly, I need to have someone on my team who comes alongside me that can handle some of those things. That I, that I can just hand those so things So we're back over. to giftedness. Then. It's back to giftedness. And, and there's things I'm not good at. And I am... And it's so, okay to say that. And it's okay. Again, this is how our friendship started. I'm not good at the stuff that he's able to do. He likes Excel spreadsheets. He knows all the... For- I can't do a formula on Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> My life depended on it. But if I'm trying to do all those things, I am actually taking away from him an opportunity to serve... And and joy. I'll even we talk about this in the book as well. There's joy with the stewardship as well. Illustration I use in class is I'll draw boxes and I say most churches only have four jobs. Mm. Um, you can work with the kids, you can teach an adult Sunday school class, but there's only a certain number of those people who are teachers. You can park cars or you can be an usher. Right. That's it. That's it. And, but, and yeah. how do I know that? Because that's the announcements every Sunday. <laughs> right. And so when I have a yeah. right. a chief financial officer who we're not using right. because he doesn't fit in one of those mm. four boxes, and what happens is a lot of these business guys, why do they disconnect from the church? Because you didn't give them anything to do. We, 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 we've communicated we didn't need you. And and how incredibly sad is that for us as a church? We lose that benefit. So yeah, early on in my ministry, I realized I because I was staying up late, doing all these things, mm-hmm. and 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 serving outside of my giftedness. And right. I had to learn really quickly. No, I need to bring people who actually like doing these things, and I need to empower them and let them go do it. And they do a much better job. And one other thing I'll say as well is that every great idea. That was ever in my ministry, I didn't come up with. Mm. Every great idea. It was because someone else in the ministry, they had the idea and it popped up and I just got to empower it and I got to watch it. And and moving, that's a major shift. And I'll say this as well. Most of our graduates don't make that shift. They think it all depends on their talents, their charisma, and... Um, Sometimes they're the greatest hindrance from their ministry. The ministry is going to look differently than maybe what you had planned. But I think sometimes that individual is 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 a hang-up, actually, versus a release. I know that connects with yes. all your stuff with giftedness. And so back to stewardship, this all is connected with one one another. Go ahead. Oh, I was, I was, I'm reminded of a story. I'm going to share one of our stories yeah, yeah, as yeah. we were writing the book. Yeah. We're at the coffee shop, met at multiple coffee shops many times, but... Uh, it was amazing when I might say something and I'm speaking English words. Okay, <laughs> I'm speaking English words, and he looks at me and he cross-eyed and break that down. Whoa, sl- slow down. Yeah. Let's unpack that. Yeah, what's a cash flow? And, what and what then, do you mean by this? <laughs> and all those different pieces. And so working together uh, with uh, you know on the book really opened up and. Uh, shaped my vocabulary as well yeah. as I engage, but it was I, 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 that that story right there of it doesn't matter. Understanding f- from a business perspective, from a pastoral perspective, coming together and having the patience to work through that mm-hmm. instead of uh, being uh, intimidated sometimes mm-hmm. or uh, you know pushing off because of whatever kind of guards that are mm-hmm. up. 
it is worth working through that. And I think that's exhibited with yeah. what we put in the book. And yeah, because the intimidation can go both ways, oh, yeah. especially yeah. young Young well, individuals who graduate from seminary, right. they come and their elder board is a bunch of fifty and six year old men well, who are very successful in business. They're, they're these scared. Young, they're scared. Well, that's what I was. That's, that's the question I was going to ask. Is I think for many, particularly younger pastors, if if I let my board of trustees or elders or deacons or whatever it is. If if I let them know that I don't really know anything about mm-hmm. handling money, they're going to fire me. They're going to think, well, we don't want mm-hmm. you incompetent person here. So I, I guess it's maybe I should fake it till I make it, but you're never going to make it. Yeah, and I would say the opposite thing is to go to them and say, guys, this is what you do for a living. Exactly. This is what you do for a living. Help, help me. Well, and the wonderful thing about giftedness is that they not only bring – just the skills to be able to do that stuff. It's the mindset. Yeah. Like they get money. Like they understand mm-hmm. how money works. They're in real estate. They're in real they're estate. In they're businesses. in these businesses. They're lawyers. Finance. Yeah, they're, all those. They're in deal. Ma- they're you know all of that negotiations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they understand. I mean, they understand stuff that I, I just I think many of our of our students at the seminary they don't have those marbles. Yeah. God just didn't yeah. put those marbles. He put other marbles in that are mm-hmm. great. And some of the, you know, people you're working with, you're like, how did they? How did he know the Bible that well? Well, that's it's what amazing. I was going to say. So I've got, to, I've got a. Uh, we were part of a Bible study for years at Rudy's Barbecue, and now we're living different parts of the area. And he's doing a Bible study in his local uh, community, and I've still got a Bible study that meets on Wednesday mornings, and it's all business people. And I don't. It's not rocket science what I'm teaching them, but for these individuals, it is like I have opened up this gold mine right. of the Bible and how to do Bible study methods and and the stuff your dad used right. to teach, you know, those types of things. And also to the pastoral care. People are hurting. This is a hurting world. And yes. so it becomes you're not adversaries, you're partners with one another. And Members you know, these the businessmen, businesswomen, they are Desperate for relationship, they're desperate for community right. and connection, and and they're looking for that. And even if you're that younger minister, you have so much to contribute mm. to that older, wiser business person who's in the context of your local church. And then it works the other way when they can open up a spreadsheet or a budget mm-hmm. or a profit loss statement. They can tell you a whole story out of those numbers. Oh yeah, and you're like. I didn't see that. It leaps off the page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but one of one of the things though that I think is a, a caution, and that is the trump card. So the business guy using this spreadsheet as a trump card because the, that young pastor does not understand it and said, "Oh no, this is it," and then railroading through, say, a decision. Mm. No, but also in like fashion, where pastor would say, "No, God told God me." God told me. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, so it really. There's a uh, mutual submission of, of mm-hmm. submission and working together, collaborating, yeah. partnering together, and understanding. Uh, if, if you think about it from a, a mentoring standpoint, uh, there is this idea of a reverse mentoring, mm-hmm. uh, where a lot of times a mentoring relationship is an older person and a younger person. Mm-hmm. And especially it came about with the millennials, where that reverse mentoring is the older person, what I experienced in leadership is I can learn from the younger generation as yeah. well. Mm. And applying that with the business folks and the pastors. 
saying, yeah, we can learn from each other because the ultimate purpose and mission that we are called to do is to accomplish the first mission, go and make disciples, right. whatever that contextualized mission is, and go from there. And we're, we're on the same team, and it's not personal kingdom building mm -hmm. of, of it's not uh, an expanded, church. it's not mine, and yeah. it's not it's, an it, expanded it, it, again, program or it, what have you. Whether it's my idea or your idea or your idea, it's a, that's a great idea. Let's go yeah. for it. Right. Yeah. You, this brings us to this whole thing of volunteers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I yes. think there's been a trend. Um, maybe this is changing, but I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, where we just keep hiring yeah. more professionals. Yeah, yeah, I think COVID, especially, we can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. We can't hire out everything. And again, back to that thing of I am taking away. Oh. I'm gonna say a discipleship opportunity for an individual. And, um, you know, it's based on volunteers. It's based on volunteers and equipping these incredible godly men and women who are gifted and have a calling in their life as well and to give them the resources they need to be able to go and do ministry. I, I, um, in my own life, the men who had the greatest impact in my life as a high school student was a gentleman who owned a toy store at the local mall, a gentleman who worked at a hardware store in downtown, mm. and a gentleman who stole who sold uh, class rings and caps and yeah. gowns. Mm. It wasn't my youth minister. Yeah. It was these godly men who were my Sunday school teachers, my sophomore, junior, and senior year of high school mm. that had incredible impact. A guy who discipled me uh, throughout college, uh, he's in the oil business. Wasn't a pastor, and um, you know, and we're and, and an example I always use as well is that even with our own daughter, I look at two college students who invested in my daughter when when she was a college student, and they had an eternal impact in my daughter's life, and these are. You know what we say—the common lay folk. Uh, that's who's doing the ministry. Yeah. The ministry is happening at that level. That's great. But there's a challenge with volunteers yes, as well. Sir. I was going to mention. Oh yeah, bring that up. Uh, and an approach that we talk about is recruiting, matching, and equipping, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and managing, and, and, and the managing, leading of that. Yes, the getting that out there. Because if from a recruiting, there are opportunities, not stealing opportunities by. Staffing, mm -hmm. right? So there are opportunities to serve. I remember when you know, growing up, we were putting chairs, stacking chairs, and mm -hmm. doing all the things that sometimes that doesn't happen anymore. Right? You know, cleaning the the restrooms and everything. But also the matching, and that's the giftedness as well. Where should that be? But the opportunities, really, from a planning standpoint, can be defined from an organizational development. I always start with an org chart. Mm -hmm. And too often, that org chart, the organization chart, is just the paid staff. People. Right. And okay. that, that is missing the point of put all the roles that are needed on the chart. Mm -hmm. yeah, one and thing, how is it going to be Yeah, filled? we talked – every job has a job description. Right. Every job yeah. at the church has a job description. And it too, too often, it's the there, there becomes then a, a class structure yes. of <laughs> within the church. Oh, I'm on staff. Oh, you're just a volunteer. Mm -hmm. Just a volunteer. That's that's how it comes across, right? Instead right. of we are all working together, you've chosen. This is a you know full time. It's it's how God is providing for your family. 
through, say, a full-time position versus I'm volunteering, but that role and the impact on people's lives mm-hmm. and whatever that, you know, the requirements are, and then matching and then equipping. And it's, it's more of don't just you know, throw, throw somebody out. <laughs> hey, oh, yeah. Best of luck, but there's they an equipping and then the managing orienting. and the feedback on mm-hmm. uh, coaching and just all the things you'd think about with an, an employee. You can do that with volunteers and not run them off if you do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Too often it is, well, if I'm, you know, you, you want to be sensitive to volunteers and you don't want to say, well, I think there's a better way we could do that. There's a way to say that that mm-hmm. works, that it, the overall, I'd say, the excellence of the organization, of the ministry, can be raised without being rude and saying, oh, well, that was, that was dumb. Don't do, it th- don't do it that way again. Well, I hope somebody wouldn't uh, say to a volunteer something they wouldn't say to somebody who's paid. In other words, you wouldn't say I, that to a paid person, hopefully. Agreed. You know, right? yeah. But too often, that... There are two different ways of thinking. Yeah. It really is because, yeah, it's, it happens, unfortunately. And I suppose we don't have a lot of classes in uh, how to lead volunteers. Well, I mean, again, we, we've got a core class our, our, our in, in the Education Ministries and Leadership Department, and we do one lecture on, volunteers. on the volunteers. Now, again, we hope that they will take those other classes, but a lot of times it's that felt need of after they've graduated – and they go out to the church, then it's that idea of, oh, I, I don't know how to do some of these things. And again, there's nothing in this book that the two of us haven't sat down many times here on the campus of Dallas Seminary with our students getting ready to graduate and helping them think through these types of things of the but not just budgets, it's the vol- the volunteers and the job descriptions and what do you need for this and what do you need for that? You know, I I I think uh, uh, probably most of the work of the church really is and, and could be done with volunteers mm-hmm. and, and probably in many ways should be done. Um, but in you, you, you talked about equipping. You know, there's also a real role for pastoring people who are volunteers yeah. because it's in, the, it's in those in the moment, on the way. Uh, the the teachable moment situations mm-hmm. that something comes up and it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to mm-hmm. you you, oh. you talked about you know connecting with with the, the people that you did well again don't know if this is the direction you're going but like for example when when there's a a, a death absolutely and you're on pastoral staff yeah. that's three days yeah you have lost three days. Because that's what you're going to be doing. But, but for that three days family, of ministry. Yeah. that you, you will never have a more impactful... They'll never forget it. Never forget it. And I always say this as well, is that it was the, inter- the ministries in the interruptions. Yeah. It was never in the things I had planned. It was the interruptions. It was those divine, I'd say those divine moments that, that would happen. And to be free yourself up enough by equipping the saints for the work of ministry mm-hmm. so that you're able to do those types of pastoral things that only you can do. There's There are some things that only you as the pastor yeah. can do. And I would say this as well as that for, you know, let's say you're going to be a senior pastor. Your immediate flock is your deacons and elders. That's your immediate flock. And then you shepherd them so that they can then help to shepherd the people. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and you have to be real careful. And, and you know this as well. Once you get beyond a size of 150 to 200 people, you as a pastor, yeah. you can't make every hospital visit. Right. You can't be at every potluck. And you're going to have to equip your sh- your under-shepherds. under You're an under-shepherd yourself. Right. You've got to equip your under-shepherds so that then they can go out and do the ministry. Yeah. Yeah, and and then that even expands beyond the church because there's so many pastoral needs in the world. As, yeah. you, as you pointed out, this world's in a big hot mess, and uh, there's just spiritual needs all around us. Yeah, lost people are not showing up at my church. They're right where we, we are, they are in the workplace. They are in the workplace. They're in the in, neighborhood. They're my next door neighbors. Right. Uh, I live. I live now in a neighborhood that's becoming very multi ethnic, and incredible needs and different world religions and all that's happening. It's in my neighborhood. And how do I? And how do you equip the people in your church to go and minister in their neighborhood, in their local school, in their businesses? Well, I had one last question here. You you have this whole set of what we call field notes mm-hmm. in here. What are those? Uh, those are the templates that we've uh, put together that uh, actually can walk you through the different topics of either putting a plan together or all the different stages of uh, the book. So this is a, this is like paint by numbers. This isn't oh, like absolutely. complex. It's yeah. just you know it's put, sim- put this it's, information in here uh, and yeah, it's simple enough for me to do. <laughs> and that's saying something. Yeah, we really tried to think through what are the things that a young minister, a, a, a ministry director, here's the spreadsheets. Here are the here's the checklist. Um, even things of as you think about it, here's a here's a ministry, a program we're gonna be doing. Yeah. Have you thought about you know, how many goldfish do you have if you're gonna do a children's ministry, you know, and how many juice boxes and you know, things you don't normally think through. Somebody has to pay for this technology. You know, what does it look like to have the technology? Uh we you're gonna have a Bible study. Well, did you think through you actually have to buy the curriculum? Right. Um and you think, oh well, is it Xerox it? Well, that's illegal. You you're you're <laughs> cheating out somebody's <laughs> livelihood by illegally Xeroxing right. the sheet music or the curriculum or whatever. Well the thing I love about this is that you've you've put the cookies on the lower shelf. Yeah. There's 350,000 Protestant congregations in the United States with an average attendance of 75, mm-hmm. which means that the vast majority of pastors and church leaders out there are working with fairly small churches, not, not churches of a thousand or yeah. more. Yeah, they're out there, but they that's almost a whole different, not really not a different conversation, but but yeah. for somebody who is just getting started and has a small church this is this this is the kind of thing that can set them up and put them in business yeah it's the way, it's the thing i wish i had had yeah absolutely well i want to thank you guys for putting this resource together yeah. and having this conversation to kind of talk through the spirit of how we not only uh uh do church well but we lead church well we 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 run churches well yeah. And uh, we know that excellence is a is something that God puts mm-hmm. a lot of emphasis on. It's a value yes. for Him, you know. And He wants us to steward this world well. He wants us to steward the body of Christ well. So, thank you very much, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks for having thank us. Yes, and I don't want to thank you for joining us for this podcast on the table where we discuss issues of God and culture. Feel free to download us from your favorite podcasting platform. And we'll see you next time here on The Table Podcast. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. 
Love well.